A good day and welcome to episode 26 of the Ombre Gaming Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Manny, and as always, I'm here with two of the most inquisitive and delightfully honest young people <laughs> that I've ever recorded a video games podcast with. Matt and Steve, how are you guys? I'm feeling so delightful after that warm welcome and after playing just an absurd amount of God of War this weekend. You should feel delightful after both of those <laughs> I'm occasions. so delightful. Well, I'm delighted to have you here. Uh, Matt, are you having as delightful of a day as Steve is having? Uh, sure. That was it- not convincing. <laughs> that was sad. I went for a run. Nice. And then when I got back to my building, the lovely gentleman downstairs, who's from Granada, asked me why I had a knee brace on. And then we talked about playing tennis. <laughs> that sounds delightful. <laughs> Is the knee brace a result of a tennis injury? or No, a running injury. But uh, he just okay. wanted to talk about tennis. Nice. And that was his in. Well, similar to a conversation that Matt had with the lovely tennis gentleman from Granada, we have a lot of exciting things to talk to you about this episode. We're going to kick it off with some housekeeping, and then we're going to play Pass the Sticks, which I feel like we haven't played in a little while, and I'm happy to be playing it again. We're going to talk about the games we've been playing recently and uh, share some stories. And then for the topic of today's podcast, we're going to be talking about relationships in gaming. Um, So this is pretty obviously inspired by the fact that both Steve and I were playing God of War and have been enjoying it very much, and the relationship between Kratos and his son, and that sort of sparked the idea to talk about relationships uh, between characters and games. So uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation. should be good. And then we're going to kick it over to some patch notes where we update you on the gaming news that broke since last we spoke, and we will round it off with some community stuff, just like we always do. One could say, as always. But before we get to any of that, it's time to keep the house. First up on housekeeping, please follow us on social media. We are at Ombra underscore gaming on Twitter, and we are at Ombra Gaming on Instagram. So if you want to check out our rad tweets and pictures, follow us there. We would appreciate it. Uh, we also have a Discord that I personally, as an unbiased third-party opinion, think you should join in. Uh, we have a lot of great people talking about video games, movies, uh, board games, sometimes food occasionally. So join us there. Have a good time. We would love to have you be a part of our Discord community. And you can find the invite to that Discord server on our Twitter bio. Uh, similarly... We have a phone number, and if you want to call it, we would be happy about that. So if you call this phone number, you can leave us a message and leave us your thoughts about the podcast, articles, uh, uh, a game you've been playing recently that you are just so excited about, or maybe a game that you're not so excited about. We want to hear all of your gaming thoughts. So give us a call at 347-509-5620, and uh, your voicemail might even be featured in an article or on the podcast, unless you're racist. If you're racist and you leave a racist voicemail, we won't feature it anywhere. And last up on housekeeping, just like every episode, this episode 26 is brought to you by Insert Coin Clothing, where you can look good and game great. Head over to insertcoinclothing.com and buy some of their rad gamer clothes. I'm actually wearing a PlayStation shirt, not a hoodie, although I was wearing that before I took a shower, right now, and it's fantastic. The It used to be shiny. The shine has faded a bit, but uh, otherwise it's one of my favorite shirts. So if you want to look good in one of these PlayStation shirts or in any of the gaming clothes that they offer, head over to insertcoinclothing.com, buy some of their rad gaming clothes. And when you go to check out, use the code OMBRA 
18 IC for an exclusive 15% off your next purchase. So now that the house is all clean, what have you guys been playing? Steve, why don't we start with you? I'm passing these sticks to you. I've had the sticks for like 72 hours firmly in uh, the God of War camp, and I had such an amazing experience with it that I still want to go back to it. I'm not going to say too much story-wise, um, as we've talked about. I'm waiting for you to finish the game so we can do a nice little spoiler cast for all you fans of God of War out there, or perhaps the fans who want to know what God of War was all about and maybe don't have the means to play it and want to listen to people talk about it. We're going to do that. So I'm not going to get into too much of the story other than it's an absolute masterpiece. Like all of the reviews with the high scores that they were giving were 100% accurate. You can check out my review of it as well if you check out omergaming.com slash read. Go read it. It was absolutely fantastic. They reinvented Kratos, who was in desperate need of reinventing. And I love Atreus. I know we had talked about um, at the end of last year, like what we were looking forward to, or like the, the In the Perfect World podcast episode we did. We talked about what the perfect God of War would be. And like I, I mentioned that I really want atreus to be vital to the game i don't want him to feel like a nuisance and i can assure you he never feels like a nuisance he is vital to the game and he worked out perfectly other than that i had finished up far cry 5 um, a couple weeks before how was the story in that the story all right so i enjoyed it it's kind of funny that i played that and then played god of war because i feel like god of war wasn't as big of an open world as far cry is because that's what far cry is all about However, I feel like God of War did it correctly in the sense that they gave you the freedom. You could do the story missions. You could do the open world missions. It wasn't going to tell you what to do. It was completely up to you. Whereas Far Cry, far too many times, while you're in the middle of taking out an outpost, would suck you into a cutscene. Which is interesting because God of War technically isn't an open world game. Exactly. Like there, are, there are way more boundaries around that game than there are in Far Cry 5. Yet Far Cry 5, like you said, is way more aggressive in making you uh, like focus more heavily on the story through those yeah. cutscenes. The, the thing that pissed me off with it is I don't mind a forced cutscene, but do it at the end of a mission. Right. Like what right. would happen is I'd finish a mission and then I'd go off somewhere and I'd be in the middle of doing something else in the open world and I would get pulled into this cutscene. So if I'm halfway through an outpost, now I got to go back and redo that outpost. Right. And it just seemed like such a major design flaw because those games pride themselves on the open world exploration aspect why the fuck would you force that on somebody? Do it at the end of the mission. Just put the cutscene right at the end of a specific mission. That's how every other open world game does it. It is a little frustrating. Uh, to round it off, though, uh, in my spare time, I finally picked up Golf Story, and I've been hell enjoying yeah. the hell out of that. Golf it's a nice awesome. change of pace. Nice. Um, what, uh, what world are you on? Oh, what was I? I just did the bottom right one, not the snow one. Oh, the um, like the dinosaur one? I think I've done the dinosaur one. There's like... Uh, I did, yeah, I did the one with all like the tar. I did all that. I, then I went okay. to the other one that you could do. And then I had to go back to the main one. I haven't played it in like a week and a half because I've been stuck on God yeah. of War. But it's a great like right before bed game. It's so yeah. chill. It's very fun just to pick up and play a couple rounds. And like the golf mechanics are really good for it. I, I enjoy that. It's so funny. I don't know. I've heard a lot of people talk about the game. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just funny. It's I like don't know. surprisingly like engaging. Yeah, yeah we it played really it at is. Packs a little bit when we were waiting in line. We just mm-hmm. like fired up a two-player round and it's it's a lot of fun one could say the game is a hole in one <laughs> i'm gonna delete that no don't it's <laughs> funny no, I'm I'll, keep um, it. I'll keep it i do enjoy interacting with the characters i think yeah. they have a lot to offer by way of dialogue it's fun yeah. to uh to hear them 
it's honestly like they have a lot of quick wit humor which is enjoyable for like yeah. a little game like that have you noticed that the um a lot of the banter is like they use a lot of british slang yeah i think that's where <laughs> i think it's based out of the uk i assume based on the, the dialogue i have no idea actually but um the studio i would imagine is based out of there and did you like the part where there's a little dance party and everyone bogeys <laughs> I, oh, was that a golf pun holy yes shit. <laughs> I didn't know where that joke <laughs> existed. <laughs> wow. Anyway, with that, I'm going to pass the sticks to Matt. <laughs> I think you've earned it. Oh, thank you. Well, let's see. I've been playing Destiny 2. I reinstalled it for some reason. Get some professional help, Matt. <laughs> okay, please help me. It's I'm really struggling. <laughs> it's a call for help. Playing Destiny 2 <laughs> yeah. is a call for help. No, so I've actually been playing Crucible. And that has been fun. I may or may not have purchased. No. Oh my god. This I is this is outrageous. Matt. Can we can we have? Wait, somebody... no. Hang on. Hang on. Time out. Finish your sentence. Finish your sentence. I purchased the expansion pass specifically for Ombra purposes. Oh, oh that's oh, such oh, a cheap. So that I could review Warmind when it comes out, which we'll talk about in my patch notes. Oh, and oh, I didn't yes. want to pay full price for it. And if you play, pay for the expansion set, it's five dollars off. So wow, I know. So I've been playing. So I've been playing through the Curse of Osiris campaign. Oh, oh man, our phones are lighting up. Oh, we are getting. Oh, our phone lines just went down. We have too many callers. They're mad at you. They can't believe this turn of events. Yeah. Um. What was I going to say? So the campaign leaves a lot to be desired, and it's clear to me that that campaign storyline was absolutely finished when they released the game. Uh, They really need to add in some matchmaking for the raids. It's just like you have to be in a clan to do them um, otherwise, which makes no sense to me because every other MMO has a looking for group service where you can just do a pickup group. I thought they did for the original raid. They added this, uh, you could be a guide or a seeker and you can like select. Oh yeah. But that is, it's a terrible system that doesn't work because nobody queues for it. And so wait times are like insane. Um, yeah, it's very dumb. And then been doing heroic strikes, things like that. Um, but cool. have been having fun and we'll see what happens when Warmind comes out. Uh, so I played that. I played Tricky Towers. Sounds like a Flash game. It's a multiplayer Tetris game oh. that me and Toot and Lonnie and Bisbo played a Hell few yeah. times. That was a lot of fun. You uh, there's there's only like three modes, and you just build towers, and you can like send spells to mess them up. I'm very bad at it, which is very surprising to me because I feel like I have good spatial awareness. Awareness. <laughs> Which is very surprising because I'm very good at stacking things in real life. Oh, I played Hearthstone for a few weeks because we haven't done this in a few weeks. But yeah. then I got so frustrated by the pay-to-win mechanics that I yeah. just gave up. It was so it was very very frustrating. Yeah, I I had I had been having fun for a few days playing it, and it's nice that you can play it on your phone and just like lay in bed and do it. But once you just once you come up against someone who just like paid to have all good cards in their deck, it's like, well, why am I playing this right now? Right, right. <laughs> it's just like so stupid. That is frustrating. And they're like lead designer or something like that. He uh, he left. Okay, I'm done. Where'd he go? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. 
here you go, Manny. Here's the controller. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, I saw on Twitter, there's some like Harry Potter mobile game. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, oh, are you playing that? No, I'm not playing it, but you just reminded me about it uh, in talking about pay-to-win stuff. There's this Harry Potter mobile game where there's a scene where a child is being choked by like this spell or something or some kind of like magic person that has like tentacles and it's Mm -hmm. like literally killing this child and then the screen freezes and then in order to save the child you need to pay money (laughs) (gasps) oh no (laughs) yeah i gotta give them credit that's a genius tactic that's yeah i mean it's smart i guess it's also super dark so dark and somebody on twitter was like are you fucking kidding me? I have to watch this child die unless I want to pay money. That's insane. And like people were flipping out about it. I'll do some more research and figure out what the details are. But you just reminded me about that in talking about Hearthstone. In any case, um, as for me, I've been playing a lot of God of War as well. I'm not done with it. I started playing it uh, on Friday when it came out last Friday. And I've been enjoying it very much. It's super good. I think the the... And we'll, we'll touch on this some more in the topic of the pod, but the relationship between Kratos and his son is really interesting. Um, like for someone like me who like, I, I, to be honest, don't talk to my dad a lot. And so it's been forcing me to think about like father-son relationships. And I, and I find that to be really interesting. And I have definitely never experienced that in a video game. And I've been sort of taking notes as I go through of like different conversations they have or things that Atreus says um, sort of like under his breath or to himself. There was one particular particular scene where Kratos walks into the big beaming light um, and while he's walking around this like sort of mystical world he can hear Atreus talking about him to someone else and it, it was like really intense uh, the dialogue in particular was like oh fuck so yeah no I've been enjoying it the combat's just so fucking satisfying it's it's like I can't think of a game that has made me feel that badass I say it's like a combination of like the Arkham style combat mixed with like Dark Souls. It has the fluidity of the Arkham combat and it has the intensity and um, in some respects the pacing of Dark Souls combat, but it's obviously much more forgiving than than Souls. Um, so yeah, I, I've been loving it and it's very hard. Like I think I've gone to bed around 1 a.m. every night since Friday because of that fucking game. So I'm very tired, but it's a very good game. Yeah, I had to stop doing side missions so I could focus on the story. I kept getting distracted. Yeah, man, and that's the <laughs> thing. Like, there's And for a game that's not open world, it does such a good job at like encouraging you and like helping you be invested in these side missions, which is like so fucking cool. Um, so yeah, it's a beautiful experience. I also I, I was playing was playing far cry you know we did that stream on release day and all that stuff we did the giveaway which was really fun and i echo steve's thoughts i mean when people ask me about it i'm like it's a far cry game and, I th- and that's not a bad thing that's a compliment because mm-hmm. far cry games are fantastic but that's at least right now for me sort of where it drops off um i have completed i think two of the regions i think there's four right steve it's uh three you have john Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I threw a curveball with Faith. Okay, yeah. Faith. So I've completed two of the three. Then I think I just have Faith left to do. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, Steve. It's a definitely a Far Cry game, and that's a good thing. I think it has its shortcomings. Um, I will eventually get back to it. You know that meme of like the guy who's walking with his presumably girlfriend, and he's looking at the other girl. Uh, somebody tweeted that meme with the, uh, his girlfriend being Far Cry 5 and the other girl being God of War. And I was like, yeah, that's accurate. That's exactly uh, what happened to me. It's really tough to want to play anything else right now. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah that's mostly what i've been playing um i started i finally started playing seven days to die with two last night and it was that super was fun. so funny it looked like a really um, fun time it was awesome we we've been planning to play that actually with tech on for like at least four months so it was great to finally play that and it's such a it's such a, like a bare bones game like it's not graphically impressive but it's just like it's just a fun game to like mess around in so that that's been fun and uh I don't know if I've talked about it. I think I've maybe mentioned I play Owlboy as well on Switch, which is really fun. Also a great, uh, a great like right before bed kind of game. Really fun side scroller. The music, the art, the the story is beautiful. So been having fun with that. But yeah, mostly God of War as of late. Uh, and I'm very, very okay with it. Yeah, um, you got to finish that. I can't wait to talk to you about it. There's so yeah, much to discuss, and I'm I know. just like we, we have I'm to um, bottled up. We got to figure out like scheduling wise, like how we can fit two podcasts in next week. Um, so yeah, that that's basically what I've been playing, and that's been past the sticks, ladies and gentlemen. What have you been playing lately? I assume it's a lot of God of War if you're a PS4 person, and I assume it's a bunch of random boring shit if you're not. So give us a call, tweet at us, email us, let us know what you've been playing. So with that, let's move on to the topic of the podcast, which is, like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, uh, relationships and games. So uh, again, this was inspired by, well, initially we wanted to talk about families and games because, again, the relationship between Kratos and his son is really interesting, and especially given the context of who Kratos is coming out of the previous games, that has been cool to explore. But Matt's not playing God of War. Or any games with families in them, for that yeah, matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, we, so we then sort of zoomed out to relationships and games. And I think that's just as sort of impactful of a topic, and I think it's going to lead to a good conversation, because um, I think games have sort of evolved to a point that they don't, they don't mimic all of our relationships in real life, but I think, like Greg Miller made a really good point in a recent KFG podcast episode um, where he was like, we've grown up with the industry and the industry has sort of matured to a place where we can think about relationships in games and we can actually have these experiences where we can deal with conflict within relationships in games. So I guess let's start by uh, going around and talking about maybe one or two experiences that you've had in a game where relationships, whether familial or not, have been a central part of it and, and sort of how that how that experience went, how it impacted you. Matt, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. So the game and the characters I wanted to talk about are so the Halo series mm-hmm. uh, and talking about Master Chief and Cortana. And so if you're not familiar with the Halo series, Master Chief is the main character. He is who you play as. He is a super soldier that was developed by whatever military organization exists in that universe, UNMSC or something like that. Um United Nations Space Command, sorry. And he is a Spartan. That is what he's called. And there's other Spartans too, but he's the best one. Uh, And so you play as him in Halo 1, in Halo 2, in Halo 3. You play as other Spartans in sort of the shoot-off games. And then there's also Halo 4 and 5. So I've played Halo 1, 2, 3, 4, Reach, ODST, and I never played 5. So Halo 4 was the last one I played. Um, and so in the very first one, you end up on uh, the Pillar of Autumn, with this, which is the ship. You are doing like the tutorial where you have to like align your helmet so that they know that you know how to look up and down yeah. and left and right. Um, and you, <laughs> We're going to watch you put your helmet on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you end up on the bridge. Uh, Captain Keys is there and, and the ship's AI pops up and it's Cortana. And it's this woman uh, who is like blue 
data stream and she is sort of this coy funny person that is talking to you and the captain um, and you end up putting her in your helmet Mm -hmm. and so she is sort of like your guide and your partner in everything that you do throughout the entire series she is there with you um, is except, that why Microsoft, or is that why like Cortana was a thing on the phone as well? Yeah, Cortana is now the like advisor on Windows 10. It's like the Siri of Windows 10. Yes, yeah, or like and the is Google it, Home. You, is it voiced by the same person? Uh, I don't use it. I turned it off. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think it's voiced by the same person yeah. because the voice acting is actually an interesting story. But so yeah, you are sort of just this machine and you're killing everything, right? You're a super soldier mm-hmm. bred for war and you, Master Chief or John or Chief, she calls him Chief mostly, is just really stoic, like quote unquote masculine soldier figure that like has very few lines, but over the entire series, uh, they basically just develop the strongest relationship in the entire game that just propels everything forward she sort of sacrifices herself in halo 2 at the end um she's left alone with Gravemind, which is this giant flood uh which is this parasitic thing that takes over the ship she's on that she wanted to you know just make sure it didn't infect more things so you think she's gone at the end of halo 2 but in halo 3 she appears to you in visions and you basically go and save her and then in four you are drifting through space with her and she finally reveals to john that she is an eight-year-old ai and ais start deteriorating at seven years and when that reveal is made you kind of as the player it just like sinks like this is halo 4 so this is yeah i don't even know the time difference between the first halo and the second and the fourth halo but this is like years and years and years of games that you've played with this AI and she's the only person talking to you and to John like most of the time in these games there's soldiers and other people but whatever and basically at the end of of Halo 4 she she, she saves you but she sacrifices herself Aww. and you're just like oh <laughs> so the opposite of Gladys <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um she appears to you in like this weird data stream world where she saves she like downloads you or something it gets really weird but uh, she <laughs> gets really weird. She and then she like puts so she's now live size and she like puts her hand on his armor and she's like, Oh, I've been waiting forever to, to just touch you or feel oh, you or whatever. That's like Smart House, that Disney Channel movie. What? I don't remember. It. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the like the house like cleaned up and then like she just reanimated herself. She's like, Look at me, I'm a mom. It's like, No, yeah. no, yeah. Okay, but the 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 way they do it is that. So the, their entire relationship, it's they love each other so intensely, but mostly, in my opinion, in like a non-romantic way. Yeah. You're, it, and you're even though John is like technically a human Master Chief, he is very much like you're very much, in my opinion, witnessing a relationship develop between two like effectively to ai like he is as much a machine yeah as she is she she's even in some ways more human than him because she has emotions and she expresses them and she's caring and supportive and funny and she makes jokes and he's the one that's like super stoic and unmoving 
uh, and he has the like one liners, like we're going to make it and shit like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she's the one that's always like poking fun at him. Um, And it's almost uh, like more of a brother sister or like just two people that really care about each other. And I don't know. I think just to see how two people in a video game over an entire series of video games care for each other and express that care, I think is pretty impactful for people who've who've played those Halo games. For sure. And I think it's interesting that it is that relationship, you know, half of that relationship is a stoic, I'm doing this in air quotes, masculine, you know, alpha soldier kind of character. Um, and I think that it kind of follows a trope, right? It's like mm-hmm. um, emotional or, you know, empathetic person humanizes stoic badass soldier boy kind of thing mm-hmm. right um but i always think those relationships are really interesting because of the ways that um that badass soldier boy is <laughs> soldier boy um, <laughs> <laughs> that that badass uh like soldier figure is humanized so yeah that is that is really interesting especially because master chief doesn't talk a lot right and she um i don't know in a lot of ways she's the one often sacrificing herself and doing more courageous things than he is and he's constantly trying to grip with the fact that he can't always uh well well, he can't save her a lot of the times like she's doing her own thing and he his most vulnerable moments are when he uh realizes that she has to do what what she says she has to do to save like the greater humanity, you know? And he is very much like, uh, yeah, I care about humanity too, but she often makes the more grand, uh, actions. And did you, did you find yourself, did you find your opinion of master chief changing as that relationship developed specifically master chief? Not really, not her. Uh, it's interesting. Cause he, you, he's always in his helmet, right? You never see his face emote. But you can tell when, like, when she says goodbye to him at the end of four, and it's just his helmet. Like, you know exactly what is going through yeah. his mind yeah. and his heart. It's like, holy sh- shit! Um, I like, I will never move on from like losing you, which is very interesting. Um, think Halo. I I did watch some Halo Five clips today, and I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. But <laughs> she. She apparently comes back as evil. <laughs> and oh, what? Oh, yeah, God. that kind of ruins the whole thing. I'm glad I didn't play it. Um, yeah. But yeah, sort of she should have just died at the end of four. Um, right, right. And that's what she would have done too as a character. Like that was her moment. That was her moment. Right. Interesting. I, As someone who hasn't played a lot of Halo at all, and especially in many, many years, that is really interesting. Maybe I'll give Halo 4 a shot because that sounds cool. Um uh steve what about you so one of the ones that always stands out to me is the last of us i've talked ad nauseum about that game because i I truly think it's one of the best games ever made i think we have a lot to look forward to with the last of us too but in the last of us you kind of have the surrogate father-daughter relationship with joel and ellie because spoilers for the last of us if you haven't played it you really should go play it so the way the last of us starts off is you're taking control of Sarah, who's Joel's actual daughter, and you're walking around. You're basically experiencing the outbreak on the first night. And on that first night, in their escape from the city, they get shot at by 
what appears to be like SWAT guards or, you know, like just the U.S. Army. So, yeah, you leave and you get shot at by the U.S. Army. And in getting shot at, Joel's daughter Sarah dies in his arms. It is the most gut-wrenching opening scene of a video game I have ever seen. Then you fast forward to years later. Joel is basically just working as like a smuggler, like... There's just a bunch of, like, quarantine zones and everything's under, like, military rule and all that shit. So there's curfews and everything. And Joel ends up getting this request from his partner who this is, like, a last-ditch effort to help this group called the Fireflies. And Joel doesn't really like the Fireflies, but his partner at the time, she did like them, so she wanted to do this favor. And what the favor was, transporting Ellie across the country. Because Ellie, as people who have played the game know, apparently has the cure because she's been bitten but the signs haven't gone further than just the bite around her arm so the whole game is you and ellie on this journey moving across the country she's very similar to atreus i I definitely think they probably pulled a little bit of inspiration from this especially with the way Corey barlog speaks volumes of neil Druckmann and naughty dog so i wouldn't be surprised if they pulled a little bit of inspiration from ellie because ellie is a complete opposite of joel he's just depressed as all hell He's basically going through the motions. He knows the world is shit. He lost everything he had. And she doesn't know any of that. She was born into this world. All she knows is this chaos. And so she just has this crazy outlook. Like, there's one of my favorite scenes is they go into a um, arc, an old arcade. And she just goes crazy. Like, look at all this awesome stuff. And, like, she's just hoping that one of them could turn on. And one of the one of the trophy achievements is you have to find, I think it's like five comic books throughout the game. And every time you find a comic book, you give it to Ellie. And there's another achievement that happens or there's certain things that'll happen in the game where it'll trigger Ellie telling Joel a joke. And you have to go through and like hit triangle to keep the joke going. And once you hear like all five of the jokes, you get a trophy, but it's like little things like that because it adds that personality where it's Ellie trying to break down this guarded, miserable fuck. Like that's the only way to describe Joel throughout this game. I mean, he's just so upset about everything. Like you really can't blame him. He's living in the apocalypse. He lost his daughter. He doesn't have a good relationship with his brother. Like that's a big part of the game too. So throughout the whole game, you're working as Joel to try to get Ellie there, and you just form this unbelievable bond with her. The more that they interact together, they're teaching each other, just like Atreus and Kratos end up teaching each other as well. Like, Kratos is teaching Atreus how to be a man, so to speak, in air quotes, you know, how to survive, how to fight for himself, while Atreus is teaching him the history of the Nordic world. He's teaching him how to read in the Nordic tongue. I love the fact when games introduce the child element, but also introduce the element where the child's teaching the adult just as much as the adult is teaching the child. And that happens with Ellie. And then the biggest turn in the, like halfway through the game, a little bit after halfway through the game, Joel gets basically impaled and um, you start taking control of Ellie and you play most of the back half of the game as Ellie. And I thought it was one of the coolest twists in video games. At first I was pissed because I was like, damn it, I just spent all this time ranking Joel up. Like I got all this ammo, I got all these cool weapons. And then you start from scratch with Ellie. But I was like, damn, that's amazing. Like this is absolutely perfect because now you're seeing the world through her eyes. It's not through Joel's eyes anymore. And that twist makes the ending so much more impactful because there's, I don't want to spoil it for you because you haven't played it, But there's a point of the ending where you're hoping it's a choice and you can choose not to do what it's basically forcing you to do and you realize you don't have that choice and you have to do what's happening. I can kind of get a sense of what the choice is if I'm thinking correctly. You can go ahead and spoil it. I mean, I'll still probably play it, but 
I mean, I think I've, I've sort of gathered what the ending is. Okay. I'll tell you if my thought is correct. Once All right. Again. So again, spoilers. If you, if you want to experience this yourself, then yeah. skip ahead like five Fast minutes. forward. So the whole point is you're trying to get Ellie to, I believe it's Colorado, because you're trying to get her there because there's the Fireflies doctors who are, they're going to try to use her to find the cure. Mm-hmm. And to do that, they have to kill Ellie. And Joel knows yeah. this. Oh, yeah. So, that's what I thought it would be. So Ellie knows this, and she is totally okay with it. She is ready to do this because she truly believes sacrificing herself will help humanity. But Joel, because of what happened with Sarah, because of the journey that they've had, he can't bring himself to let it happen. So the game literally forces you to kill all the doctors and to take Ellie out of there. And so the last scene with those two, they're walking... And you can, like, Joel, it's a completely different Joel. He's the one instigating conversation now. He's the one trying to keep it light. And Ellie, she's got something on her mind because she knows something went wrong there. So she asks him, Joel, be honest with me. Did you do something? Like, did you hurt them? Did you, like, kill them to get me out of there? And he just goes, no, that's not what happened. He's like, they were going to do something terrible to you, and I stopped it. So he flat out lies to her. And that's why... Everything with The Last of Us 2 coming out. I'm very curious to see what this relationship's going to be like. Yeah. Because it literally ends on a huge lie. And then you, in that moment, you realize, holy shit, Joel is the goddamn villain. Like, I, like I've like i been playing as this guy the whole time. and But the, the two of them just play off each other so perfectly. And that's why when I heard about God of War using a son, I was really hoping it was going to be very similar to Ellie. Because Ellie became one of my favorite characters in video games. And I can honestly say Atreus definitely has become one of my favorites as well. He is absolutely vital to the game. And that was our concern when we were talking about it in yeah. previous episodes. Was like, is he just going to be a sidekick that shoots arrows and stuns enemies or something? Or is he going to be like an integral part of the development? He was everything. Like he yeah. he's a huge part of the, the, the narrative. He's a huge part of the history of the world. Obviously, he's absolutely necessary in combat. You cannot fight without him. The last one I was going to mention was a quick one. I do think there is a little familial element to Horizon Zero Dawn. Just it, it's not in the it's not in the traditional sense because it starts off with um, Aloy getting um, trained, but then you only play as her as a child for a small portion of the game. Then you're her as an adult. But I think her mother is leading her posthumously through all the audio logs she's picking up, through all the basically scanned images she sees of her. So she's learning all of these things that her mother did and basically tried to set up for her because she knew something was going to go wrong. So I really feel like there was a teaching element throughout that game, even though they never met. It's almost similar to, you know, Master Chief and Cortana. Like, it's not a physical relationship. It really is all mental. They're having these conversations. They're not even having conversations in Horizon Zero Dawn. She's just hearing recordings. But she uses that to basically learn about what happened to this world because she knows as much of the world as you do playing. Like, you learn together with Aloy. And I think it's also interesting because she then uses what she learns to become a better fighter, to, be, to exactly. become smarter in the world. And then she uses that information to prove herself because the, the game is a constant... I mean, the, they have a literal proving in the game, but the game is a constant battle between how people perceive her mm-hmm. and how she is essentially proving them wrong. Um, so it's like this sort of cycle of relationships um, that kind of keeps that game going. Yeah, and it, it's a very, um, like, it's one of those societies, too, in Horizon Zero Dawn, where it's like one of those, like, respect your elder society. So they, they rely on the people who are experienced and who have been there to basically pass on that knowledge. So she's now taking all this knowledge 
from what it sounds like, the woman who saved the world, if you really break it down, like <laughs> Aloy's mom basically puts into motion the prog- the process that's going to help what happens in Horizon Zero Dawn happen. Uh, without her, you don't have Aloy saving the world from all these robot dinosaurs. So I think it's cool that games are willing to take different concepts for family relationships and apply them to the story because I, I do like different takes. Like if every, if every take was, you know, a guy and a girl, you know, a man and a daughter go somewhere or a father and a son or a mother and a daughter, it would run its course. You need those unique little twists to kind of keep you interested in these new games that pop out because, you know, if another game tries to do what God of War just did, you'd be like, well, you just kind of copied God of War and then you'll always compare it to God of War. You're like, well, you didn't really live up to them. They're up here and you're kind of down here. Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. And I think even in the more traditional relationships, I think there's so much that can still be fleshed out. And I think God of War does a tremendous job of doing that. Um, But the game that I sort of wanted to touch on was actually Far Cry 3. Um, because that was not the the first, but one of the first games that really emphasized relationships and, and it really highlighted how relationships propel a game forward. And this is an interesting one because I almost compare it to like a Batman and Joker relationship between Voss and you, the main character of Far Cry 3, whose name I totally forget. Um, but essentially you play like a rich dude who goes to an island for vacation, you get kidnapped by the locals, and then you end up meeting Voss um, pretty much right from the beginning because you're in captivity and actually the opening cinematic uh, or i'm sorry the opening sequence of far cry 5 that you actually get to control when you're running out of the encampment is almost identical to far cry 3 you're running out of being in in captivity um but you keep meeting vast uh, multiple times throughout the game and you have these interactions and like yes at the end of all of those interactions he usually tries to kill you i think there's a couple that he doesn't but you develop this kind of absurd love-hate relationship similar to Batman and the Joker where you're both two pieces of the same sort of puzzle and I think the developing relationship is really interesting because Voss has a really fucked up vision of what's evil and what's good he's he doesn't consider himself evil just like a lot of the Far Cry uh, or antagonists right um and so i think like you as a player know he's evil he doesn't know he's evil and sometimes he just gets into these conversations with you about good and evil and about the world and about what's working and what's not almost like your friends like there's like a couple moments i mean you're like tied to a chair or whatever or you're you know tied to a cinder block and he's gonna throw you over a cliff but he's having these like kind of easygoing conversations with you like you were just hanging out and having a beer with him and he's explaining his view of the world and his view of what's right and wrong um and like you can't respond because there's no prompts to get your character to speak at at most of those moments but it kind of fleshes out this like interesting relationship where like he kind of needs you in a way um and he needs that outlet even though it's like he just needs somebody to be crazy at and then it i I won't spoil the ending because i know you're gonna play it steve but it sort of culminates in this like really intense confrontation and he forces you as the player to make some pretty tough decisions um And so I think like the kinds of relationships that mechanically make a game work and make a game progress are the most impactful ones in games. And then when you layer on top of that complexity and decision-making, I think that's when it can become really powerful. I I wanted to also mention a couple others. Um, Hate to be the guy who talks about Metal Gear Solid V all the time, but I am. Oh, man. It's a great Uh, game, so I would love to talk more about it. It's a great game. And you reminded me of it, Steve, when you were saying how 
Joel has to kill all the doctors. There's a scene in Metal Gear Solid Five where your men have become infected by uh, a virus, and you have to kill them. And for something that's, I mean, it sounds cliche, right? Like, I have to kill my own men. Oh, no. Like, that sounds cliche. But the way they did it, the pacing is incredible. You can't run in that scene. You have to walk. And they approach you kind of slowly. And you you just have to slaughter a room full of your own men. And they don't have unique characteristics. Like, you haven't really developed a relationship with them. But you've developed a relationship with the theme of what it is to have so many supporters. And have people that will, you know drop on a dime everything they're doing to to come help you it's so weird um but like at the end of that scene dude i was fucking tearing up because it does such a good job at creating that investment in the onset of the game and then literally stripping that from you uh and then he says this like sort of cheesy little poem when they're scattering the ashes uh and then like he doesn't decide to scatter their ashes and instead he smears them all over his face but uh that aside it was this really impactful moment of like oh my god like i had a connection to this group of people to this again the theme of having these supporters and and i'm leading them and now i have to kill them um so that was really intense especially if you look at the development of relationships in metal gear solid uh in the metal gear solid franchise if you look at metal gear solid one like the way they explain relationships, it was said, not shown. So, like, when you encounter your brother, he's like, it was me the whole time. And you're like, okay. Whereas now, the relationships are part of the exposition. They're part of the setting. They're part of the themes of the game rather than just being sprayed at you. Um, so I think that's that's really, Storytelling really has come a long way since 1998. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and just like Greg Miller said, the industry has grown. I mean, Corey Barlog has become a father since the last god of war and he uses that as inspiration right or he used that as inspiration for the game and um you know we can talk about it more in our spoiler cast but the relationship between kratos and atreus is so intricate and it really it goes a long way to break down the traditional views of masculinity and the traditional tropes of father and son relationships and it highlights like you said steve that two-way learning right um it's a two-way street that's the only way they're going to get through this journey uh god of war has been a very personal experience for me because of my relationship with my dad and so like having this having an industry that i love create something that can connect with me on a, a such a personal level has been really intense and really interesting to to sort of like work through and think through we've all had whether it's a father figure whether it's a teacher like we've all had moments of wanting to impress somebody and having a reaction that wasn't what you were looking for right and like there's this little moment in god of war that happens um there are certain chests you can open right and there's uh, a specific kind of chest where atreus has to essentially like use his knife as a key and he unlocks the chest for you and, and then Kratos opens it. But if you look at Atreus, right after he opens this lock, he looks up at Kratos, and I swear to God, like, you don't see his full face. You only see the profile of his face. But he has this sort of vibe of, like, I helped you. Like, I, I helped you unlock this box. Like, approve of this. Give me the praise that I'm looking for. And Kratos completely disregards it and opens the box. And, and as he's doing that, as he's opening the chest, um, Atreus kind of, like, snaps out of that and, like, stumbles backwards from the shock of Kratos opening the chest and it's this moment that every time it happens it shines through because it's just like holy shit this kid is begging for approval this kid is begging for that warmth and attention that as of where I am in the story he's just not getting it's it's developing but it's, it's just not there so it's it's just crazy I mean like the fact that video games can reflect such impactful things about our own lives is bizarre in a way it's interesting to see the video games and their stories and relationships mature I think as mm-hmm 
in a in many ways you could say the this is like a renaissance of gaming happening right now and it's because a lot of the people who are playing have played games their entire lives are now making those games and are exactly. older and are adults and have families and have different relationships with people um, right and that coupled with like I feel the gaming industry also opening up to people that have been not involved in the gaming industry previously or represented, including women and gay people and queer people in general, um, people of color too. We're only going to see better and better representations of relationships that end up connecting with us on a deeper level. Right. Still has a lot of work to do, but in terms of representing those people, but I think is going in that direction for sure. So yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's amazing that especially for like people who've played games all our lives, right? It's amazing that games have encouraged us in a lot of ways, forced us to think about relationships in our real lives. Like that's that's bananas. I feel like that's been largely reserved for like books and movies. But I've always said that gaming Video games are, for me, the most immersive form of art. More so than a movie, more so than music and books. So, in a way, it kind of makes sense. Um, But in any case, have there been any games that have forced you to think about the relationships in your life? Or have have asked questions of you that you didn't think you would be uh, answering when it comes to relationships in games? Uh, If so, let us know. Give us a call. Tweet at us. Email us. Do all those things. We'd love to hear from you. Um... So that was, that was a really good conversation. I enjoyed that very much. So with that, let's move on to some patch notes where we update you on the gaming news that broke since last we spoke. This is patch notes 4.25.18. I'm going to go first. Dibs. I've called it. So my patch notes is coming from VentureBeat. Far Cry 5 debuts as the top-selling game of March. Uh, so the NPD group does tracking of... Uh, most popular games. So for March, here are some sort of breakdowns of uh, the gaming industry. So I'm just going to read actually a little bit from this VentureBeat article. Uh, The game industry generated $1.32 billion in March, down 11% year over year. However, game consumers have still dropped more cash in 2018 than 2017 so far. Uh, Sales have hit $3.41 billion, up 15% year over year. Uh, according to the industry tracking tracking firm, the NPD Group. And then according to the NPD Group, uh, Ubisoft is the leading publisher in both March and 2018 year to date, which is January through March. So these are the top, uh, we'll just do the top 10 best-selling games of March. Uh, Far Cry 5 in first place. Second place, Sea of Thieves, which I think is kind of interesting, especially considering... There's not a lot to do on that game. Uh, number three, MLB 18, the show. Four is Kirby Star Allies. Five, Grand Theft Auto Five. Uh, six, Call of Duty World War Two. Seven, Mario Kart Eight. Eight is Nino Kuni Two. Nine is NBA 2K18, and in number ten is Monster Hunter World. Um, so yeah, Far Cry Far Cry Five has sort of swept the charts, and it's doing very well. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other um, data from this NPD report. I will include it in the show notes. But, I mean, good for, I mean, not that it's a surprise, but good for Far Cry 5. I mean, they had huge success in the U.K. Um, I think they hit those numbers faster in the U.K. than they did here. But overall, I mean, it's a great game, and I'm not surprised. I don't think anybody is surprised that Far Cry 5 has taken March. I mean, I think it's going to, like, fall off, you know. 
Well, I mean, I, I think you do have to consider DLC, which is going to be coming out soon. Um, and then all the stuff that comes with like the gold and deluxe editions of Far Cry 5, I think that might give it a slightly longer tail than uh, you're suggesting. All right, uh, Matt, what do you have for, for patch notes? So Destiny 2 did a Twitch reveal for their next expansion pack, Warmind. Uh, Warmind uh, is adding a few things. Uh, there's updates to PvP. Uh, you're going to get ranked modes with uh, ladders, sort of like any competitive game that relies on seasons like League of Legends or Overwatch, things like that. There's a new game mode too uh, that looks uh, to be sort of like a horde game mode where you have waves of enemies that you have to kill. And then the one thing, the one last thing I want to mention is that it there's going to be two new strikes and there's going to be a third new strike, but only for PS4 players. Hey. Because that makes so much sense. Your boy's going A game with Destiny. limited content we should limit it more by only giving users of a certain console an extra thing to do. Right. Thank you, Bungo. Fucking Bungo. For making that decision. You're our resident Destiny 2 expert. <laughs> yeah, that'll be my title. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Steve, what do you got for patch notes? Well, let's round it out. So what I have is actually a continuation of a story that started back in January. Uh, back in uh, January 14th of this year, uh, Ethan Gatch of Kotaku. I think I pronounced it right. It might be Gatch. I don't know. Ethan Gatch of Kotaku reported that Quantic Dreams basically head David Cage was accused of being basically having a toxic workplace. There was a lot of accusations about homophobic work culture, basically homophobic sexists basically just a terrible work culture and quantic dream denied it right off the bat they were disgusted by it they actually said that they were going to pursue legal action that nothing happened until recently we have a new kotaku report from jason schreier which actually came out on monday quantic dream is suing the french media outlets over the articles on the toxic work conditions so this is like the first time that a game company has ever sued over negative reporting this is the excerpt from Jason Schreier's article. Quantic Dream has sued the French newspaper Le Monde and the website Mediapart for reports on the studio's working conditions. Kotaku has learned. As far as we can tell, this is the first incident of a video game studio taking legal action against the press for negative reporting. Cage and co-CEO, I'm probably going to butcher this name, Guillaume de Faudomier. I think you just offended a lot of French a little people. Work. I think you just swore at them. <laughs> so Cage and co-CEO Guillaume de Faudomier, and again, if I butcher that, I am so sorry, had threatened litigation in January when the reports hit, but some of some observers assumed that was posturing. It wasn't, as both Cage and the media outlets have confirmed to Kotaku. So they actually did sue. And what this is going to do, it's going to make these French outlets, so Le Monde and Mediapart, they're the ones who are going to have to now prove to the courts that they did everything that they needed to do to basically have a fair article posted. So they're going to need to prove that they asked, you know, that they had conversations with the five people that came forward in the initial report and they're gonna need to prove that they actually gave a fair chance for reporting that's the that's the solution right like if we're gonna hear both sides and if we're gonna have a process it's gonna be in court and so like yeah i don't know it is interesting especially people have talked about it a lot there is a reckoning in in movies in music and video games is, is not an exception yeah if we look at like the industry and where it's moving you know connects with a conversation that we just had about opening our doors to to new kinds of people from different walks of life i think we need to understand that it, it's a different place it's a different industry it's a different world than it was um 
but yeah, there has been a lot of like talk um, on podcasts and I've talked to friends about it. Like, do you support the game? Do you buy the game? Like we play the demo and it looked beautiful. Like, do we wait until the court hearing is done? Like, you know, it's an interesting conversation around that game. I, I don't know. I don't have all the facts because I haven't done, I didn't know we were going to talk about this and stuff like that. But like, yeah, workplaces are toxic. People are homophobic still. People are sexist still. Like, I'm not going to default to be on the uh, quote unquote victim's side in this issue. Uh, but I think it's important that if people are saying like, oh, at work, like I'm being harassed it's important to take that really seriously and not just be like, oh, I'm going to take the CEO's side or like, uh, I, I don't know. People's voices have been stifled for so long that I think we can we can spend a moment and listen to them when they finally speak up. I 100% sure. agree with you on that. When these things come out, you need to listen to them. You need to focus on them. You need to take them seriously because we're finding out more often than not they are true. I am happy that things like this can actually go through the right steps of the court system. I will say if I find out that they were aware of it and they did nothing, it is going to change my perception of the studio. It definitely would. And it's interesting, I think, what makes this situation sort of, I don't know how unique it is, but I think what makes it interesting is that from the start, they say we categorically deny it and we're going to take legal action. And then here we are a handful of months later and they're doing exactly that. Um, Whereas... Maybe other studios, if they knew they, they were at fault, they wouldn't have taken legal action. They would have tried to settle. They would have tried to pay people off. They would have taken other routes to make sure they make money on their game, right? And so I think the fact that it's overseas and the fact that we don't know what the fuck we're talking about and the fact that we're not connected to them in any way, we don't have any anywhere close to the amount of information that we would need to make like a, an educated decision or, or, or state an educated opinion. We're just stating what the developments are and and time will tell how that all shakes out yeah at the very least hopefully every all these game companies and basically all just companies in general can take a lesson from this and just don't be a fucking asshole like just treat other people with respect yeah and i think it it also it connects to there's a the developers of of warhammer they recently said that you know they're they're gonna put their devs through 90 hour work weeks to make sure their game gets shipped it's like god come on yeah like i'm operating in with limited knowledge right now but um i think their game was either delayed or or something happened i think they announced the delay of of warhammer the latest warhammer release and the ceo essentially tweeted or emailed or made a public statement where he was like we're gonna make sure this game is perfect even if it takes our you know our employees to have 90 hour weeks and the industry has responded with, no, please don't do that. <laughs> Work on the game. Yeah. We'll be fine. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like the industry is at a reckoning and it is at a very different place than I'm sure it was, especially before we were born in the 70s and the 80s. And so, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's going to be an interesting next couple of months for uh, for Quantic Dream for sure. Um, that was Patch Notes, where we update you on the gaming news that broke since last we spoke. If you have any additional news information let us know about it you can tweet at us you can do all those things that i talk about after every segment and i'm not going to do it at the end of this one um so before we wrap up let's do a quick community shout out to our friend jimmy thanks for being great and we love you but actually the reason we're giving jimmy a shout out is because he listens every week he's friends with matt he may or may not be related but we won't go there (laughs) that's nepotism (laughs) insider trading and all of those (laughs) things um jimmy thanks for listening every single week thanks for subbing to us on twitch and you know what on that note if you haven't subbed to us on twitch 
I recommend it. We tweet. We tweet. We tweet. We tweet. <laughs> we stream almost every single day of the week. And fun fact: I got some insider knowledge. If you have an Amazon Prime account, you have one free sub on Twitch to anybody of your choosing. And if you don't use it, it just kind of sits there, and Amazon takes your money. So if you feel so compelled, if you enjoy our Twitch streams just as much as our friend Jimmy does. Find us on Twitch. You can find us at twitch.tv slash ombra underscore gaming. Throw us one of your Twitch Prime subs. We would not mind if you did that. So yeah, uh, Jimmy, thank you for your support. We super appreciate you. So now that community stuff is over, that's the end of the show. That's all we got. We'd like to thank you so very much for listening to this episode of the Ombra Gaming Podcast. If you have any thoughts, if you want to talk about anything, if you want to share uh, your stories about relationships and games or news or anything, give us a call. You can find us at 347-509-5620. Also, a reminder that you can find us everywhere that podcasts are listened to. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, uh, Player FM. We're all over the place. So find us on your favorite podcast streaming service. And if you feel so compelled, throw us a rating. Give us a comment. Give us five stars because we, we goddamn deserve it. So with that, ladies and gentlemen... Thank you for listening, and as always, wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, we appreciate you, and we'll talk to you very soon. Uh, You're going to get ranked modes with uh, ladders, sort of like any competitive game that relies on seasons like League of Legends or Overwatch, things like that. Or any competitive game that relies on ladders. Shoots and ladders. And shoots also. and ladders. Big, big ladder dependency. <laughs> shoots and ladders was actually the original competitive ladder-based game. A lot of people don't realize that Shoots and Ladders is actually a 10 to 100 player game. What? Wait, is it actually? Yeah, that's what it says on the side of the box. Yeah, a hundred people could start, could play shoots. Once and ladders. you get two hundred people, it becomes uh, an arena ladder royale. Ooh! Everyone falls onto the board at the beginning, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>